filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. last uh stuff from my grandparents house uh my grandfather passed away in uh early 2019 and was buried in arlington national cemetery he's he was a veteran of uh world war ii and uh was a prisoner of war in uh german prisoner of war camps during world war ii after his uh b-17 was shot down uh, he was betrayed by uh, moles in the Dutch resistance. They almost got him out of uh, out of the Netherlands and back to England, but uh, somebody betrayed them, and he, and him and the rest of his crew got captured and sent to uh, uh, Nazi uh, prison camps. Uh, but fast forward a lot of years he passed away uh, and now uh his wife my grandmother uh she has moved out of uh the house they lived in in tennessee for uh 30 years and uh the children and grandchildren have been as you do it may be crass but i mean you divvy up the stuff that's left in the house because there's some stuff you want and there's just stuff that doesn't need to go away but um, one thing I got is, and I'm showing this on the video, uh, people listening to this podcast might know that I'm a fountain pen fan for the past year. And I can confirm he is holding a pen. Yes. And uh, this fountain pen uh, was my grandfather's. And as far as I can tell, it was made in 1946, meaning that oh, this wow. fountain pen is 73 74, 75 uh, years old, meaning it is way older than any of us. And uh, it still writes. It writes just as good. Uh, I'm not using it tonight because I need to uh, clean it and and fix it up a little bit, but it writes. It writes great. That's awesome. I hope it writes for a long time because that's a cool little thing. Um, My grandfather was a World War II vet. He was a Navy uh, flight navigator. And when he passed away, um, and my, my mom and aunts and uncle and my grandmother went through his stuff, they, you know, uh, found a box of charts, like essentially a shoebox of charts that he had flown with and had actually drawn on and annotated. Oh yeah. Yeah. My, my, my I grandfather got... was also a, uh, a navigator. And so I, uh, we have a footlocker that's actually from his dad, uh, who fought in World War One with MacArthur in Mexico? Oh wow! And so we have we have like all this history stuff that, uh, as the family archivist, even though I haven't been a practicing archivist in uh, 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 coming on seven years now, I'm the one who's organizing all of these family photos and of then course. digitize them and uh, put them in acid-free containers and all the all the like. 
Yeah, I'm the map geek of my family, though. So I got first dibs nice. on it. And um, I got one of, uh, I think it was right before or right after. Uh, it was right before I was going to um, move to London for school. And so I got one of the Midlands in Wales that has London in the corner. Um, oh, cool. And my grandfather's lines all over it from routes that he he may have flown. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Hey, hey, welcome. Right. Oh. Actually, Jason, I didn't give you a chance to talk. I was just going <laughs> to plow ahead. I should. I'll, I'll keep it brief. Uh, I don't have uh, necessarily the uh, lengthy archive of information from either grandfather for a variety of reasons. Uh, will not give them very much more attention. Uh, but I will say that when my grandmother was locating, relocating from uh, her old apartment to live with uh, one of my uncles and his family. Um, she brought everyone together and was like, I'm moving. I need to downsize a lot of this stuff. Uh, everyone uh, take, uh, I'll have post-it notes around the house. Just take one. If you want me to keep something, write your name on it and put it on that thing. And whoever does it, does it first is going to get that thing. So if you got something, you should do it right now. And <laughs> everyone, everyone kind of like, was like, Oh yeah. yeah and, and went back to doing what they're doing. Uh, I immediately got up and grabbed the notepad and, as a joke, put it dead center on the TV. Um, <laughs> this is when I was like, I was like fourteen, um, so I had no use for a personal TV. Um, and everyone kind of laughed, and then they looked at my grandma, and she was like, "Jason gets the TV. Uh, <laughs> follow the rules." Uh, and so uh, that TV went with me to college. Nice. Yeah, that's amazing. That's great. Also respect to your grandmother she was like yeah they should follow the rules she clearly explained the rules for what, and she meant she meant for people to do it uh and right when there. i noticed that no one else was going to do it i was like well one this is going to be funny and the worst case scenario is they tell me okay it's not going to be that like that's you can't just do it like that you you don't get but, the tv but, but grandma was like but yes yes he yeah. does uh it's her rules it's her tv so she was just uh, like did i stutter I mean, that was pretty much the attitude. And so after that, people were like, oh, I guess we should get the notepad. And so then uh, they, you did know, anybody claim the like, couch or the fridge? No, no one went for the other big stuff. I don't know what did happened. Anyone claim, did anyone claim grandma? Uh, my uncle. Uh, okay. right, he did yeah. not put a note on her, but um, he should have. She, she was already going to move in with him anyway. But yeah, that, that TV went with me to college uh, because I thought fast. Well done. Hey, hey, welcome in. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United, and Heirlooms podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley, who gave me a, a nod and a shrug. That was a, that was, he, he liked that description of the show. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about DC United, and that's what we're doing tonight. We've got some good news in the first segment. We've got some bad news in the second segment. Before we get to any of it, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh... Well, for the handful of people that listen to this show and follow me on Instagram, you may have noticed that I posted a story that said, I am the proud owner of $30 worth of beer um, and a photo of the beer that I was buying and putting into my trunk in that moment. Uh, I now own less than $30 worth of beer because I've had some of it. Um, Adam, if you're looking up the story, it's gone already. This is from a couple days ago. You missed it. <laughs> I also, I told you exactly what happened. You were not missing a great photo or anything <laughs> like that. Um, so I am drinking uh unibrow uh which is i'm sure not how it's pronounced it's the quebecois 
uh, brewery. Maybe that's how we all pronounce it on this podcast, at least. Yeah, my 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 thought process is that it's funny for it to be unibrow, so that's yes. where I've gone with it. Um, they had a, they had a maybe? sommelier six pack, like a selection of their various beers, and so I am drinking their uh, Trois Pistol uh, Belgian Dark Ale, uh, which is a really really super fruity and super boozy um belgian dark ale that uh it, it it's serious it packs a punch nice uh i've got a mixed drink i've got uh essentially a manhattan but with some of the uh sweet vermouth replaced with maraschino liqueur i'm sure it's got a name i don't know what it is um i didn't bother to look it up but it's it's all right it's tasty it was a beautiful color which was kind of fun um, like almost like a plum color, which was oh. kind of neat to look at. Just some old overholt, nothing too fancy as the base spirit. Benjamin. I went back to a gin and tonic uh, this week, just like I did last week, but I was inspired by Jason and because uh, our local Publix, which I rarely go to because uh, it's not my favorite grocery store because it's expensive. Um, but You're clearly was- not from Florida. Clearly, um, we could unpack that for 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 hours on this podcast, but we won't. Um, I went there because I wanted a sandwich, and as I was getting my sandwich, it was like uh, top shelf limes, uh, five for two dollars, and I was like, yes. So I got some top shelf limes from limes. And so uh, that's what I'm, I, that's what I have added to my gin and tonic this week. Well done. Top, Way to step this, it up with some uh, top shelf lime juice from limes. From limes. Exactly. So we, we had a conversation before the show and we decided that we are going to start with the good news. And so if you want the bad news, you have to wait until the second segment. We're doing good news first. And the good news is that the, District of Columbia government announced on Monday that they had granted DC United a waiver that will allow Audi Field to open to spectators at 10% capacity, which is 2,000 fans, Um, which means for the first time in more than a year when DC United opens up their 2021 season uh, next month against NYCFC, there will be fans in the stands. It has been so long. It won't be a full house. But there will be fans in the stands. And that, you know, on some level at least, has to be considered a good thing. Yeah, and it's not even, like, 2,000, I feel like, is the minimum unless, like, disastrous things happen uh, with the global pandemic that is still ravaging our entire world. But uh, they're going to reconsider it. Uh, What Muriel Bowser said was they're going to reconsider in April. And the number could even go up from there. It might stay the same, but it could also go up. So um, like I said in my post, I don't know if I personally am ready to go to a game uh, like that because I am, uh, even though I've gotten one dose of the uh, vaccine, uh, I'm still the parent of a child who is not eligible to get the vaccine any anytime soon. Uh, and so I, that weighs heavily on my mind, but, uh, for people who are vaccinated and who don't regularly interact with unvaccinated people, yeah, 
why not go? It, it's outside. It's going to be a good time. Uh, I've seen random proposals out there. Uh, like if, if they, if they want to like maybe prioritize uh, healthcare workers, give them free tickets or uh, give them priority or both. And that seems like a great idea for whomever wants to go. Uh, I mean, it should be a good time and I hope it's, I hope it's a great time. And I, I, I don't, I think anyone who uh, wants to go should go. Uh, it's just everybody has their own internal calculus about all of these things right now. Right. The, it, it's not a blanket waiver just to open the stadium willy nilly. They do have to yeah, abide yeah, yeah, yeah. by the plan they submitted, which it re- requires people coming to certain gates for ingress and egress, right. um, potentially having, you know, if different stairwells. So you'd go in one side of your section and out the other side of your section ordering concessions to your seats. Uh, Everyone has to be masked. Uh, There's going to be distancing rules in place for, so that each group is separated from other groups. Um, I won't be going to Audi field until I get vaccinated. Um, And at that point we'll have to decide because my kids won't be vaccinated at that point. So we're going to have to decide what we do. Um, I'm very excited because Moderna entered uh, or start is ramping up and taking, um, Six months participants into their into their uh, juvenile trials for the vaccine, which is really exciting. Uh, it's going to be months and months, but we're yeah. it started now. Progress, uh, but also like for school and also for soccer. Like maybe by September October, kids could be getting uh, their vaccines. Yeah, uh, I'm more concerned for for the short term. Um, with the the fact that DC's case numbers are pretty terrible right now. Like remember how bad things were back in February where we were kind of freaking out about things. That's where they are now. Again, they went down and came back up and Mm -hmm. it's, it's bad in DC and we're behind almost every other, every state in the nation as far as vaccination rates, because we've spent so many of our vaccines vaccinating uh, essential workers, which is good, but they don't live in DC. So it's not residents of the district of Columbia. We've been using our doses on Virginia and Maryland residents uh, and those States have not given extra doses to us uh, in, in response to that. So I'm, I'm a little bummed out that um, things aren't better. I don't feel like stadiums should be opening right now. Hopefully in April, I'll feel different. Things will have changed. Um, but yeah, thanks. thankfully now is not April. Yeah. Um, so I, I have some questions, but I am excited that things are, you know, that, that people are thinking about ways to safely reopen. And if you've gotten your vaccine or you are in, at low risk or you are comfortable doing it and you're not going to put other people at risk by going to the game, go to the game, wear your mask. Um, don't yell at someone in their face because that that's bad don't, anyway. And, yeah, and, but, and really, and also really don't stop wearing your masks. Seriously. One one thing that's I, I don't know that I don't imagine that MLS is going to do this. I don't imagine that they would even even if they wanted to do it, they would have no success at it because I don't think uh, enough people would listen. But I have noticed uh, as I slowly and surely become more and more of a person who watches American soccer and also the J League um, <laughs> because they Kinkazi keep putting, forever. Well, they, the J League keeps putting one game a week uh, up on their YouTube channel for free. Um, and since there's been nothing else to do soccer wise, I've been watching those games. But um, what's been interesting in those games is that 
in the stadiums where capacity is limited or if they're in a certain phase or whatever their their version of uh, managing this is um fans don't cheer they just clap so mm. other than very very like instinctual reactions like if if there's a close chance it just misses people are like oh but that's it there's no like also to follow so there are claps and it's a lot of love like baseball style um patterned claps uh and things like that like clapping uh patterns that would echo through the stadium but they are not chanting um also i keep people from yelling and you know spraying their droplets all over also this will probably make me unpopular with a certain segment of dc united fans but i hope this ends the beer throwing tradition because you got your nasty like face juices into your beer and then if dc united scores then you throw said beer just willy-nilly into the air and i just need that to end i'm i i i just i don't, don't think want it's going it. to i, I don't, don't think, think it's, it's going, going to, to but i think I, it should well i will say that most of the stadium does not appear to have beer throwing uh if you want beer throwing you have to go to the supporters stands at this point I I haven't right. noticed beer being tossed from the press box, or I ha- certainly haven't seen it thrown from the press box. But <laughs> from my seat in the press box, I also haven't noticed much beer. Jason, being Jason, Jason's about. just chucking beers up in the well, air. Okay, in the I press will box. confess that I did one time knock a water bottle off of the ledge, but it had a cap, so there wasn't like water spraying everywhere. <laughs> just but I did accidentally knock seats. it off on it, well onto the concourse behind the um the um what section is that um, 104 or whatever. I can't even remember what section it is that's just below the press box. So it fell in at the top of that section, but like far enough back where no one was anywhere nearby. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I, I think in general, this is a, I mean, it's, it's, it seems like a positive that the VC health authorities are like, okay, some number of people can come in. We don't think it's going to cause too much of a problem. Um you know, Adam brought up getting food, that sort of thing, bathroom lines. Uh, my main concern is definitely getting in and getting out. Um, and I'm definitely going to be wondering from the team, because if I'm not completely vaccinated by April 17th, um, if they're like, oh, yeah, it's normal media entry uh, at gate B with uh, all the fans will just come through gate B. I'm like, I know that's no good. Um, if it's the media are going into this gate, and fans are going into that gate, then I would personally feel a little better because I feel like my where I'm at in terms of what I think is okay, it's probably not what the person attending this first game is going to feel is okay. Um, And so they might be comfortable with waiting in a line to get through security and all that. I don't think that I think that line is where I'm going to run into danger. It's not during the game sitting, you know, in a venue with 10% of that only has 10% of its seats full. It's not during that. Cause you're going to be spaced out. It's going to be when you're not spaced out, standing next to somebody in line. Um, and you know, social distancing is not actually physically enforced. It's just sort of a thing that you hope people do, but they don't all do it. Um, so I just, I hope that the team's plan and the city holds them to a plan that, you know, is as safe as possible because we've seen, states and municipalities around the country that have maybe not been very concerned about as safe as possible. They've maybe been like, screw it, do whatever you want. We're uh, insert Texas or Florida. Maybe there's been some states that have explicitly said that. (laughs) Yes. Um, Or at least their leadership has. One thing I'm concerned about 
is on the social distancing front is whatever the plan that DC United has. Uh, we, we've seen at MLS games last, at the end of last year where fans were allowed, um, they, they packed themselves together in some cases right. in the supporters section or, or wherever else. They, they stood close together because they wanted a feeling like normal. They wanted to pretend things are normal. Things are not normal. Even if we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, we're still in the tunnel. So let's act like it and keep our masks on and keep our distance. You can still like, they're not going to stop you from yelling, especially if you're wearing a mask. Uh, So if you have distance from people who aren't in your bubble, then, then yell your heart out into your mask and, you know, lift it up or pull it down to drink a beer and then go back to it. Put it back on on. like that. That's going to be really important because I really want to get vaccinated. I really want cases case numbers to drop. And I want to see Audi field full as soon as possible. Um, and the only way that's going to happen is if we kick this virus out and right. be safe. So it's, let's not spread it anymore. It's not good. This, this, I mean, I mean, the virus is not good, but also the empty games, it's not good. Hot take. Um, <laughs> right. Jason like being, Anderson against coronavirus. That's a bold stance. I know. I'm sorry if it, <laughs> it offends any of our listenership. That no, I am I'm not, not sorry if it offends any of our sufficiently supportive of the coronavirus. Um, if the coronavirus is listening to this podcast, I, I hang up and don't listen to our podcast anymore. I'm talking to you. Don't rate and don't subscribe, coronavirus. Um, <laughs> no, being at the being at the stadium, like I realize it's an immense privilege that I've had to have being in, even just in the press box, but it's not fun. Uh, compared to a game even with like a smattering of fans like an open cup or olympia friendly in september at random uh, in 2018 kind of crowd uh those are fun uh the empty stands it's it's interesting there are interesting things happening like you can hear specifically what the coach is yelling or see more stuff going on on the bench than you normally could but uh the exchange for that is a weird uncanny valley experience that i don't think uh, quite frankly, I don't think it's, it's not a good spectacle, but it also, I think the soccer suffers. I think the law, there's an energy that is not there from all the teams. They try and sort of fake it, but it's not really present. It's not the same thing and you can feel it. And, uh, you know, getting back to a state where that isn't necessarily the case, where there is something to feed off of, even just 2000 people can make a very big difference versus the weird, training session vibe that a lot of the games had last year i mean it didn't help that dc was for a long stretch of the year it just felt like none of the games were that important because until the very end of the season when dc was still in the playoff hunt somehow it was like oh wait a minute um well and it was also like it was also like uh, during the middle of of 2020 we were all like uh, is are we all just gonna die from this virus like what is happening Right, it, it didn't lend itself to um, mentally being in the right place either to play well or do anything particularly well. Um, so yeah, uh, the slow move back to, I don't want to say normalcy because I'm hoping that we maybe learn some lessons in uh, 2020 about normalcy. The new normal, an um, actual new normal, but, not right. not a sarcastic one. It, it, would, it right. would be awfully nice to hear uh, some people at the game to just sense that people are there to, you know, if a chance goes just wide um, to hear even more than just like players on one bench 
uh, reacting because yeah. that's to hear, what she, to hear a couple of people go, oh, right. Um, that the that stuff uh, it, it actually does contribute, and this past season was a re- was real evidence around the league that the games without fans it was the safest thing to do, it was the right call, but it doesn't mean that MLS was at the level it was in 2019. Um, I think the soccer was generally worse in 2020. Yeah, I, I think that goes beyond fans. Um, circumstances and everything else. Right. Um, and the fatigue, but yeah, I mean, the viewing experience suffered too. Um, like one of the reasons, one of the competitive advantages MLS has is fans. Um, the, the fans create the atmosphere that make it really a compelling watch. And you notice when you are watching a game in a place where they don't fill the stadium, where they don't have a ton of, of people. And last year that was, that was everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of the games felt like, I mean, we are experts in watching uh, preseason games here. A lot of the games felt like they were in uh, Bradenton or Clearwater, where mm-hmm. there's just like no fans ever. And y- like what happened uh, that past year, you could hear, uh, or, or, and what happens in preseason, you could hear everybody shouting. You could hear everybody uh, trying to organize their defense or the coaches yelling at people to uh, do better. and. Which is, again, is interesting, but not what you want in the game. However, if you're producing preseason content, that sort of thing is really, really good. And DC United's in-house team keeps giving us the good stuff. They recently released a video from the first week of preseason training uh, with Hernan Losada, DC United's new head coach, mic'd up. And we got to hear his direction and his thoughts and the questions he was asking and the encouragement he was giving. And I thought it was really good content. I thought it was really good content. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys what stood out from the from that video. I think the the specificity about you know things like um, and they they ran a portion of it. I think today they clipped part of it out and shortened it up. Um, and yeah, they did the, several clips. Yeah, and the the specificity of um, what they want to do with the ball coming down to um, specifically down to body shape. There's a moment where um, Losada is telling them to, to bring it back and start again. And he tells Donovan Pines to make sure he's opening up when he, as he's receiving the ball and that the difference between him receiving it flat or receiving it, like as he's leaning to his left and moving along in that direction, um, it, it doesn't save a ton of time or, or distance or anything like that but it changes the angle and it does save that little bit of time. And that little bit of time is how you're going to play out of a press, um, how you're going to become a possession team that can actually be relied upon to be a possession team. I mean, we've seen DC try to do a possession style and not really pull it off. Um, Or even get into transition that much faster. Right. And none of that is to say that, you know, it's not like Ben Olsen didn't tell players to adjust their body shape. That's a, I mean, any coach in MLS or USL or any professional level is, is very much talking about those kind of things. Um, but getting that quick dose of how specific this stuff is going to be um, is, I think it, it tells me that, you know, his talk about how granular the training sessions are, are going to be while he's there. It wasn't just new coach talk. It's actually, you know, we have that immediate backup of like, no, no, it, it is going to be this granular 
this early in the preseason on a um, what looked to be a uh, 9v9 with two neutrals uh, build-out drill. It's going to be that specific this early because it has to be if we want to get to where we're going or where we intend to get to down the road. Um, because, the, you know, the start of the season is going to be, I think, not we're, – we're not going to – I don't think this team is going to hit the ground uh, – flying out of the gates this is not going to be a team that's at top the east at the end of may i don't think but they Um, won't be the finished product by then either right well and that's my point is that they're they're, you know we're not wasting any time we're not going to waste time getting to that even though yes that might be you know part of the build-up to getting up to actually being truly refined in in what he wants to do um we're not going to waste this or these early days based on like well there's still plenty of time um, there is that combination of like, it's early, we have some basics to build out, but we're also not going to lose any urgency here. Um, there does need to be some urgency because the team was bad. Um, if you're Lozada, you want to impress, uh, the fans and, and win people over by playing not just attractive soccer, but, you know, winning some games because we've seen DC teams try to play attractive soccer and just be bad at it. Uh, and it turns out people didn't like that just as much as they didn't like uh, being like fifth place and playing ugly soccer. Everyone was very unhappy in both cases. So uh, the idea is to do both things and to get there. It you know there are no wasted days, and so I was glad to see that it didn't feel like there was any like sort of like ah oh, you know we're we're taking it easy at this point. We're getting in. We're just dipping our toe in a little bit. It it, it feels like they've jumped in rather than just dipping a toe. Yeah, the, the drill they were working on for most of the videos seemed to be a, a drill about breaking lines from the center backs, getting it, getting it to the midfield, who would then play a through ball to the onrushing wingers who would pass across to each other to finish. Um, and the granularity went down to the off-the-ball movements of the wingers, where they were supposed to cut toward a a, a, a dummy marker and then backpedal away and loop around to make their run and it got to the point where they were actually telling and trying to get griffin yao to take his run wider further Mm -hmm. out toward the sideline and you could see both losada and an assistant coach signaling for him to to take it wider 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 um change the angle get out there uh, and I thought that was really good because that's yeah. that's an attention to detail that's going to be really important. Well, I think we've we've seen in DC United teams of the recent past that uh, a lot of their players have had the inclination and apparently just the freedom to cut middle, 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 middle. Uh, like their wingers have always cut into the middle, and so if 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 this new system wants to keep pushing some wingers back out towards. Uh, the outside that might give them some ability to, to, to do some different things or to, and to change some things up that we have not uh, seen in a minute. Yeah. Uh, even if they're still going at goal coming from a wider angle is a different yeah, run. Exactly. And, and one thing that we might see, especially given that Lozada says he wants to take these risks um, is combining, you know, what Ben's talking about, which is, players who are on the wing ostensibly actually making that run all the way out to the touchline to open up space, but you still want that central overload. And yeah. some, some of, you know, the, some of the things that were written about um, Bearscoat was that you might see a wide forward go out wide and a wing back tuck in. And all of a sudden you get mm-hmm. your fourth player into the middle from not from another forward dropping off, which is maybe what 
Olsen might have done is have his forwards join in to be the fourth player coming from up top. Wayne Rooney, for example. Lozano wants that guy to stay up there, uh, and he's willing to risk the overload by saying, my wingback is going to come inside, and if we happen to turn the ball over, we're just going to have to deal with the fact that they're going to have that space to run at. Um, We're going to exchange that risk for this overload. Um, One other thing that I did that is sticking in my mind, it's kind of a similar note, was something where he told uh, Sorga, if you're early, yes, carry or just keep just keep your run going and move your defender so you're too early um and your defender gets to the spot in time it means you're not going to be able to do anything you're just sort of standing there you're not you're not being useful anymore um you might still you might be getting there before the defender but if you're too early neither of you is functionally gonna you know you're you're not going to get the shot away you're not going to get the service so that's not a mistake where you need to stop and reset though that is something where you go and create space for the next guy you you can still be useful uh your thing is to not just be like well i'm here i'm maybe the ball will fall to me somehow it's to keep the run going and and also it comes there's kind of an implicit thing underneath that which is that someone else has to get into that space later yes so that when he talks at at the beginning about runs and how important it is for guys to be running, uh, making runs all the time, this is kind of the other side of that. Like if Sorga gets there early and make and carries his defender, he's like, Oh, I'm too early. I need to drag my defender to the, the, the back post so that there's room for somebody else to make the near post run to get the service in. Those other guys have got to make the other players out there have got to make that run or else Sorga is now wasting 10 to 20 yards of running for nothing. Um, yeah. And if you're Losada, it sounds like if, if you're telling guys on day one, the runs have to be there, then if you're not making that run, you're probably not going to stay on the field. Um, so this is something to watch out for is um, if those attacking runs specifically aren't there, you know, we might see if a player is just not making those runs early enough, or if they're not making them often enough, we might see lineup changes based off of that because it sounds like this is a fundamental thing about how he wants to attack. And if you can't provide that, then you can't stay on the, in the lineup. Yeah. One other thing, I think this will be the last thing I, I talk about on this. Uh, although it probably won't be, if I'm honest with myself, um, it should be, we, we saw the verticality in, in these drills, but we also saw it's not route one verticality it's not just hoofing the ball up there or or playing it right down the middle or anything like that um there's a pattern a specific pattern that he wants them to use or or a series of patterns that he wants them to play through to get the ball forward in an advantageous situation breaking lines in a particular way to to get runners in behind or or whatever else so it was good to see that and it was good to see him question them do you understand why we're doing this do you understand the principle here yeah. Do we need to go over it again? He wants the players to understand it because that's that's how you get buy-in. If if you're going through the motions because your coach told you to, that's different than knowing we're doing this because it helps us win games in this specific way. Right. Um and and that's I thought I, I thought that was really cool to see. Um and also we saw him recycle possessions. Like if the pattern, if the if it's not on, we don't have to force it. We can turn around and play it back, back to Don. Uh, play it back to the center back and take it to the other side or or just start it over. So it was good to see kind of different aspects of of his approach. And I thought that was really cool. And a, again, props to to the the media team at DC United because they they killed it with this video. And hopefully we see more of those uh as the season goes on. It's not just a one-off because yeah. you know yes. 
over over recent years, it's been fair to say that the team has been very unwilling to share what goes on at training. There's been a lot of closed sessions. Um, there's been, you know, not a lot of availability outside of the normal, you know, reporters at, at one training session a week, um, that kind of thing. But that's it. So fans don't necessarily have much of a view of what actually is going on there. Um, and this is a little different. And so hopefully this is a, a step towards a little more openness, which I think would benefit. I think the fans would understand more of what's happening with, with more openness and more of an ability to, to actually see what's actually being done here. And we also have to remember that like a lot of times what the team was trying to do before wasn't like a reinvention of the wheel. Um, And so to a certain extent, they were hiding things that were not necessarily worth hiding. Um, There are some things you don't want other teams to know about. And I do understand the competitive aspect, which is like, I literally don't want to tell anyone anything except that we'll be at the game at the appointed time when we have to show up. Um, But on the other hand, this is professional sports. People want to be entertained by it. They want to engage with it emotionally outside of game day itself. Uh, Public money went into a lot of these stadiums. Like there is a lot of reasons that teams should feel some obligation to feel a little more open. And I hope that, um, DC takes advantage of the fact that they're, you know, the communication staff, uh, the content side, they are capable of giving us things like this. So, you know, take advantage of it. It's a, it's a positive. It's not a negative. Um, there are plenty of teams that get no coverage in their local markets in part because they try to act like they're just keep their heads down and hope no one notices. And then they play their games and that's it. Uh, that is, and, that is, a and bad it turns point. out no one notices. Right. Yeah. That's what happens is that, you know, you end up as the rapids or what have you. Uh, sorry, Rapids, but you guys know this is how it goes. Um, if it hurts, it's because it's true. Yeah. Uh, that's it for the good news segment. Please, you know, get yourself a drink if you're in a situation where you're able to and and you that's your choice. Um, and stick around because we got bad news coming up. It's filibuster. All right, say you're at work and... Uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh to assert your rights in that situation whether a boss mistreated you you were fired unfairly uh or 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 something worse happens ben in the district of columbia and northern virginia you know who to call right yeah you called the ehrlich law office because you have rights that's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, if you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a, a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster welcome back to filibuster the black and red united podcast i said we were talking bad news in this segment and that is what we're going to do dc united presumptive captain, returning captain, whatever term you want to use, uh, center back Steven Birnbaum uh, let the world know in recent days that he will not, in fact, be rejoining training 
um, later this preseason after the offseason ankle ankle surgery that he had because he has now had a second surgery on that ankle to clear up some lingering issues. And he will be on the shelf for 12 to 15 weeks, putting his return to training somewhere around June. Not even his return to games, his return to training. He's going to have to build up some level of fitness and comfort with the ball at that point because it will have been almost a year and being 10 months or so since he, uh, or eight months maybe since he, uh, last played a game because he missed the last two months of the the season or maybe not two months because games were so close together, but he missed the last several weeks of, of the 2020 season with this ankle injury. So he is out for a, a long dang time and it's bad news for, for him, for DC United. Obviously we wish Steven a, a, a full and speedy recovery. We can't wait to see him again for his own sake and for the teams. Um, but yeah. I, I, I'm worried about this because he's no longer a spring chicken. Uh, he's, he's 30. Tr- right. Uh, and I mean, uh, once you turn 30, you're obviously ancient because all of us are over 30. Um, but it's not just his age. It's like the description of the, uh, the, the procedures he's having is he's having some bone removed and he needs some, some like nerve compression relief surgery. And all of that makes me feel real bad because this is a second surgery after his initial surgery. And it seems like the first surgery didn't take. And this makes me worried about his future health and his future ability to get back onto the soccer field. Um, So I hope he's back in 12 to 15 weeks, but this is starting to, I feel like this is the beginning of, I think you can now call it a chronic injury and hopefully he comes back from it real quick. But I mean, we don't know at this point. I don't think anybody knows. And it it, it just, it, it again highlights the level of depth on the back line that DC, DC United does or doesn't have. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, when you, this is the first time, and to go back to the first segment, we talked about openness. This was a level of openness about an injury that DC has maybe not always offered uh, all the time. Sometimes sure. they have, sometimes they haven't. Um, when you describe what's actually happening to people in a surgery to the degree where they talked about removing some bone and re- relieving nerve tension, it sounds pretty bad. Um, I I want to shout out... Um, Charlie Boehm, I always think about this. He he mentioned to me once years ago, uh, having some sort of very minor procedure done to his knee, um, that the kind of thing that we think of as minor, I should say, like when we talk about athletes, we're like, oh, it's, you know, minor. It's the little arthroscopic keyhole thing. He'll be back in four weeks. And he was like, I don't know how people come back in four weeks. This is agonizing. It's terrible. Um, right. And so... I don't necessarily want to jump. This isn't a situation like Ben Olsen's ankle where there were, I want to say four surgeries from initial injury to, um, but, but the other thing here is that we're not talking about bone spurs or things like that. um, So that's a plus as far as this sort of thing goes as sort of recovery, but it's not worth, it's certainly not a thing you can just dismiss either. Um, it is a surgery where he had the surgery. 
I remember, I think Donovan Pines posted something from that first week of like, come get tested, make sure that you're passing all your, your COVID tests so you can join preseason on time. Um, and Birnbaum was there and he was juggling a ball inside the, uh, the training room um, in, in part of the locker room. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's good. He's barefoot. He's juggling a ball. There's no brace. There's no sign of any needing any assistance of any kind. That's a good sign. Um, so the fact that they went through that and he was at that point and then it was still like we probably need to do something else um, to get this cleared up. The fact that it was, uh, you know, he was sent to a doctor in Green Bay, Wisconsin, which tells me they were like, OK, this is a specific kind of thing. We know of a specialist. This is this is someone who's um, got some experience with whatever this ankle injury because we never really got a word on what the ankle injury was at any point. It was just, it's an ankle injury. Um, so it wasn't a sprain. It's not really clear what it was. Um, I mean, all... sometimes ankles, sometimes people's ankles just get fucked up. I, I know completely about that topic. Uh, yeah. I, I have one of those. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a very, it's a hard thing to read at this point. Like, will he come back and, you know, when Olsen came back from all his ankle surgeries, he had lost a lot of his speed um, and had to sort of recalibrate who he was as a player. Um, is this going to be one of those situations? I don't think so. But, you know, when you hear has surgery, long recovery time, and then you need to go back in again, it, it doesn't lend itself to the most optimism. So um, I think Ben's concern about not just burn mom's future, but also the short term depth problem um because it, it comes up quite when you look at the roster it comes up pretty quickly because it's not so much that they don't have enough specialist center backs what they're really missing in my opinion is those guys that can play there and somewhere else because we saw last year that there are some guys that were willing to step in and try it uh but it was not for them um you know Russell Knauss and Joseph Mora I don't blame them for the way those games went when they had to play center back, but they were not center backs. And it was clear that they were not center backs and DC well, doesn't have that kind of guy. And, and when you switch them into the center back role, then uh, they don't, also don't have the depth to replace those right. positions. They don't have a bunch of wing backs to replace Joseph Mora. If he switches into a center back role, they don't have, uh, I mean, they don't have that many central midfielders if Russell Knauss. They don't have uh, any central midfielders, period. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. If, if That's Russell Knauss. They're thinner than center back. Right. If Russell Knauss moves into that role. And also, their central defender, even their named central defenders, aren't that deep. I mean, uh, Frederick Briant is for an MLS team, he's very old. He's older than Bobby Boswell was when Bobby Boswell fell off the cliff and, and was not MLS starter quality anymore. Uh, he's older than most MLS starters. And uh, he, he was up and down well, and they, they've last specifically year. said that he needs more time off. He, he can't play the, the compressed schedule. Right. And their other options are uh, Heinz Eich, who seems good, but hasn't played in MLS. It's uh, 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 Donovan Pines, who had a, a down sophomore season uh, and picked up knocks here and there. 
and they have uh, DeShields, who's never played a professional game before. And that's the natural... Oh, go ahead. And that's the natural center backs they have. That's it. Right. You know, and DeShields hasn't played a, a competitive game since 2019 because he missed the the shortened 2020 season in college with a back injury. So he's also been away from playing right. the, the, the rigors of games uh, for a while. So, um, you know, then is kind of laying out here. You've got a rookie. Uh, you've got someone who is is in his mid thirties and can't, as Adam said, you, you can't expect Bryant to play every single game. If the schedule gets compressed again, and, and it's uh, going to get compressed because they're already starting in mid April. Uh, and, and pines uh, last year had, I want to say three different uh, muscular injuries during the preseason. So um, every single center back comes with some sort of, you know, reason to have some sort of qualm about leaning on, expecting them to play 34 games uh, and expecting them to play at a high level. Um, so yeah, th- losing Burnbaum without having that depth, I, I think it, it something that I mentioned um, in my short piece about it was that the, in my mind, the prospect of playing out of a back four of some kind has gone up significantly because of oh, this. Yeah. Um, and part of it is, and this has been on my mind, I think I've mentioned it to you guys not on the show for the most part, but um, if you're trying to get players on board with a brand new set of tactical principles, one choice you can make, one approach you can have is try and explain those principles through something they're already familiar with. Uh, and so if you want to explain the principles to the players you can establish that through the formations that they are already very used to playing on a regular basis, whether that's four, three, three or four, two, three, one for a long time. Coaches would do this with a four, four, two, but the four, four, two has kind of been phased out for the most part, though we spent some time with it last year. <laughs> um, but you know, the idea is that you can still play Los Altos principles out of these other formations. They, they don't right. prevent you from doing that but it can be a way to sort of ease the transition into the ultimate goal, which is to play out of what we, what we imagine the ultimate goal. We're, we're still all collectively uh, projecting uh, a back three on Lozada, which he might never, it could be that he gets a look at the roster and is like, this team's never playing back three ever. Um, we don't know that for sure. He, we, he's not a, as he told us, he's not very specific about a formation. He's specific about he's not the principles of play. Um, yeah. He's dogmatic about the, the the fundamentals of how he wants to play. It's just not the formation. Right, but uh, um, yeah, not the formation. But right now, I think uh, uh, playing with a four three three or four two three one. I think those things were, or um, probably not a diamond. I know he played some of that in Belgium, but just when you look at the roster, we just talked about the lack of central midfielders. Yeah, um, right. A diamond is feels unlikely to me. Um, but yeah, the, the prospect of starting the season in one formation and transitioning into the three five two or three four three or whatever it ends up being, I think I that is very much on the table uh short term for the first, you know, April, May, that part of the season. Don't be surprised if we're sitting around like, I thought this guy played three five two. Where where's my three five two? It might be just you gotta wait a little while longer because right. like literally there aren't enough starting caliber and also players ready to go. This this again uh, uh proves that 
DC United needs to sign, like they need to sign the maximum amount of players because injuries happen all the time and they need the maximum amount of flexibility. Like, I feel like they've signed a little more players this year than they have last year, but it's time to stop being cheap about it. You need to sign the maximum amount of players as long as there are players that you you think are MLS quality, but like it's necessary because injuries happen all the time in MLS and over the past couple of years, they, they just happen and DC United hasn't seemed prepared for them. So my two in, questions right now, knowing okay. that, Oh, go ahead. I just, just, just real quickly to address Ben's point. Um, last year we entered the season with 25 players right now. DC is on 27 and that's before Lucas Rodriguez or Nigel Roberta come in. And Logan Pancho is still in camp as a draft pick that maybe he gets a contract. Maybe he doesn't. Um, so we are much closer. It seems like to that roster so. maxed out than last year's really hard to explain 25 player roster come right. opening day. And that just did not make any sense. The and reason that that's hard to explain it. is because you get a, you get charged for 28 players. You, you get charged at least the roster minimum for 28 players, even if you have fewer. And then spots 29 and 30 are yours if you can fit them into your cap, into your salary budget. But you don't get you don't take a cap hit for them no matter what. DC United was getting cap hits for players 26, 27, and 28 without having anyone on the roster for those spots, which is why it, we were flabbergasted by the decision I, not I didn't to care carry about enough the, players. Like, I didn't care about the team losing a couple hundred thousand in potential MLS salary to dole out. I cared about the fact that they, when they had injuries, they just didn't have anywhere to turn. Um, right. I mean, what, there's no benefit is one. It's both, it, very I mean, yes, little it, benefit. To, it's both. Like, yeah, I, I do think, I do think that the issue last year was that at least there had to be a couple signings that fell through um, yeah. that never got publicized, but they must've gone far and fallen through and they ran out of time, something like that. Um, COVID obviously changed a lot of things, but um but a lot of that thing, happened before COVID. Right, but but the window was still open towards the end of sure. Oh, and that the moment to do something shut because of COVID. Um, but I, I would hope that one thing the team learned last year with the crowded schedule is that a short roster is gonna get punished. You're gonna have overuse injuries, you're gonna have players that you know, like Briant, who didn't have injuries. He just, his performances dropped off because he probably just, he wasn't getting requisite amount of time to rest and recover. Um, and that he's not, he's not a spring chicken anymore. And, and it's not just for the guys that are in their mid thirties. Like this adds up for a lot of players. When you think of guys who have had injuries in the past, um, I think of uh, Bill Hamid's knee um, that he had the meniscus thing done a few years ago um, where it, Basically, his knee is just going to be from from what I remember Olson explaining, his knee is just going to be in some pain a lot of times. And the only mm-hmm. management really is to give it a rest. But if you keep having games every three days, you do not get to rest very much. Your knee continues to hurt. Um, and so I'm not saying that led to any performance issues. I'm just saying that this is a thing that all of these guys have had surgeries like every pro athlete you can think of has some sort of like thing wrong with them where they're for them. It's like, Oh yeah, my uh, bad shoulder or whatever. And for us, for regular human beings, it would be like this devastating problem that comes up in conversation right. once a week. And for them, it's like, ah, oh, you know, no big deal. My shoulder pops out all the time. Um, or like my broken toe that now doesn't point the right direction. It's fine. 
Um, but you know, it's not fine when you have game, game, game over and over again. You eventually, at at best, the best case scenario is you're just playing through it in in pain and not playing up to your normal standards. That's the best case. Yeah, and so I mean, the, and and just to put a button on it, this season is going to be nothing but game, 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 game. So, so looking at the lack of depth and looking at all the Garber bucks that DC United is hauling in. And once the, the Luciano Acosta 50K less. Cincinnati, yeah, 50 K less for a discovery claim on Brendan Hines. Ike from a random Houston. What is it with Houston and Montreal? Why is it always something weird between those two teams? Because they, they, situation... they had dibs and you right. have to pay 50 K for dibs. Sometimes yes. that's fine. Whatever. We're still getting 550k for Lucho Acosta yes. when I'm saying when and not if that transfer from Atlas is done. So, given the bank that DC United has amassed and paid out a tiny fraction of, uh do we think that they are going to hold that for a summer move or is that worth moving for a starting quality MLS center back? right now this preseason bring in somebody send some gam uh to whomever the, well, the transfer a, a, window lasts until june 1st so there's also time there there's um, time there's time to do but, something now is the but, thing they yeah. don't have to wait for the summer exactly they can do it now but they they can also wait until the season starts sure. i'd prefer them to do it now because we have this novel system that that the center back has to learn where the center back <laughs> is not playing the way they might have played at their their current gig. And there's so, going to be a lot of games in this in this initial part of the season. So falling behind in in uh April and May and the beginning of June is that's a that's going to be a lot of games. Right. And I don't think we talked about this rumor actually, but the first three games are going to be even more important reportedly because they might be used to determine who gets to go to the US Open Cup. Right. All right, because it's year. the it's the new MLS is back. Well, no, I mean, no, it's, no, no, no. It's just it's, it's U.S. Just soccer's the... bizarre uh, version of fixing the Open Cup up for this year, which is to just make it make extremely it extremely tiny. Um, which I don't think really it, this is not really the subject of this show. I did not think this was a good approach, and they did not, nor did they explain themselves very well at all. Um, but in any case, yeah, those first three games do come with a consequence. It's not just the standings. It's um, if you want to get in the Open Cup, you probably need to get six points uh, in those first three games, maybe seven. Um, and so, yeah, those games do have an added. They are a throwback to the old days of MLS where you had to qualify via well, some means to get those into were the extra Open games, Cup. though. Those qualifications. Those were, yes, they were I remember outside games. Those were never there were never less attended competitive games at RFK than like when you had members of your open cup, the U S open cup qualifier against FC Dallas. Like you weren't good enough the year before to qualify directly. It was a game that wasn't on season tickets. Uh, Yeah. You had to pay extra to go to it. So advertising wasn't present. And you had Um, members of your front office playing in that game. No, that's the MLS reserve league. Let's Uh, well, Respect this, the old this MLS was the first team. Uh, was, this is where you might have seen Andy Nahar uh, destroy someone on the dribble for the first time, because I think that was a um, uh, 
I think DC played RSL in an open cup qualifier in like the second week of the season. And there were maybe 1500 people at RFK stadium for it. Um, but it was a special, if also completely inexplicable procedure uh, that was in place. And now we have a different uh, procedure that is inexplicable. Yeah. I mean, the, we live in interesting times. So <laughs> I assume you guys are both on board with going out and finding a center back with that gam right now, as opposed to sitting on it for until as, the summer. Yeah. Provided, I mean, yes, they should absolutely be evaluating talent on other to. rosters. Um, I do not want them to just blow the money because they got desperate. Um, I mean, right. no, don't it's, sign Ashley Williams, but. Well, and we don't want a Gallardo situation, right? Where you miss on your first right. target or your, your yeah, starter goes down hurt in this case. It takes and a you just, but I'm, but I'm also, but I'm also, I'm, I'm also uh, like they've had time to realize this problem even before Stephen Birnbaum went down. So I don't give them credit for starting from now. They should have been starting this process. Well, they, a I while mean, ago. they did. They did trade up in the draft to get an additional center back. So they did start to address lack of depth in one step there because that's a move they wouldn't have normally made. I get um, you. But, you know, yeah, I, I want them to look through MLS rosters and really make sure that they're, if you're going to do this with, because this game took a long time to pile up um, and you're probably not, I mean, I don't think we're talking about a Julian Gressel size trade. Most likely we're not, but you never know. If they look around and they find out, you know, such and such potential best 11 defender is no longer wanted by whatever team because they've got someone else coming in um, and they need to move that player to make cap space for their bigger signing or whatever it is. Um, if they find something like that out there and they can land uh, an elite defender, then of course, go ahead and, and do that. Um, I don't think that's likely to happen, though. I think what's more likely to happen is you're looking at guys that are not starting elsewhere. Um and in most cases, those guys are not going to be starting here either. So why bother? Um, about, at that point, you're just what, bringing in a body. What 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 if we got Icopara? Now, see, that is something we can talk about. That's, interesting. <laughs> um, that's a short-term move, though. Yes, sure, but that's fine. Time. I'm okay with uh, a short-term move as long as it's a good short-term move. And I right, but are you spending a half a million in GAM on a no, 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 I, I don't, I don't know, I don't. When we're not blow... going to compete for a cup this no, year? No, 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 no. I don't want right. them to blow all their GAM. But if they could somehow just like uh, Dave Casper, uh, Minnesota, to giving up Icapara, then yeah. Right. I mean, if he was on another team that wasn't at their best chance to to compete for something this year, right? That that Which, would there, there'd be an opportunity. Gross. But Minnesota is in, in that position right now. They yeah, they've are, got a bunch of guys that are chance. like 29 to 30 years old, so they're right. not making moves. But like if Nashville, granted Nashville seems very unlikely to make this move, but if Nashville were suddenly like, you know, we want to do this and to make it happen, we're willing to give up Walker Zimmerman, um, then yeah, you absolutely make yes. that move. Walker Zimmerman Here's $500,000 of game. Yeah, well, you know, if, if, it, if it's 750000 yeah. what I, I think actually the trade they made with LAFC was something in that neighborhood um, to get him in the first place. Now, Nashville's famously data-driven, uh, and they specifically went for Walker Zimmerman. They, they had a plan there. Um, so this is like one of the least likely names to get traded to DC, but... Um, yeah, if we're talking about a player who would be the best center back on the team, um, 
if they can find a way to make a deal that makes that work, then absolutely. Um, go do that. Uh, provided we're not talking about someone who's like 33, 34, whose time is going to be very short. Um, but yeah, at the same time, if they have to be a little more measured, or maybe if they find one of these guys that, like I said before, maybe someone who's the third best center back on a team playing out of a back four. So that this guy's not starting. Um, if they find that guy and they can f- make that deal for like 300,000, 250,000, um, then you're getting someone who is com- competing is, is hard competition for playing time, which DC has needed. Um, and you're also adding serious depth rather than hopeful death. Like maybe Michael right. Shields is depth and maybe he's not this year. He's hopeful depth. Whereas I'm talking about like, this is someone we know is proven depth that if they have so basically, to in, they're going to be fine. So basically what they need is the 2021 version of Kofi Apare. Yeah. Something like that would be uh, pretty much in line. Uh, you know, a player that is also, you know, if they come in and they don't start 34 games is not going to be necessarily like, get me out of here. This sucks. Um, right. But yeah, I, I don't know if that player is out there. Um, no, I, yeah, exactly. Here's another hypothetical high end player with national team caps coming off his worst year in, in a little while once out of his current team, he wants to go abroad. His team refuses to sell him. Would you trade for Aaron long? In part, in part to troll the red bulls, uh, <laughs> that would be very interesting. Also someone I think no. probably very capable of playing Losado system. Yeah. He makes a lot of sense in Losada's system. Um, and I would give the Red Bulls money for him. Uh, the, the number of trades that have happened between these two teams inexplicably, right. this would be another one that I think would would end up, you know, the, the guy, I think he'd kill it here. Um, I don't know if they're willing to part with him Probably because not. there's a reason they, they refuse to sell him. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, they did 12 well, He's not real happy bad. there. He's not he, happy yeah, there they, because they, they twelmed him. Yeah, they twelmed twal- they him real bad. Uh, so last question before we call it a night. Who do you think starts for this team right now on this roster with burn bomb out? Like I assume Briand is a, a, a sometime starter. I, but right now it looks like it, if we play a back four, it looks like it's probably pines and Heinz Ike most of the time or half the time. And then Briant starting for one or the other. I don't know. I mean, I think we, day we, one. It's still very early, so. Yeah, I think day one on the back line. If we're just talking about that, I think uh, on for uh, MLS first kick, uh, throwing back terms that the league no longer it should uses. still be around. <laughs> uh, I think it's Heinzeich and Briant, and uh, they're going to need to sub in uh, Pines a lot going forward, but. I think that first day you go Briant and Heinz Ike based on what we've seen so far, which is nothing. And hopefully we'll see some uh, uh, preseason highlights, maybe games. I doubt games. Maybe we'll see something, but let's set our expectations all... higher. Let's demand games. We will demand games. games. We want to see preseason games. I mean, we do, we do want to see games. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, I'm going to go the only, the only other option that hasn't been, said which is until i see heinz like outplay pines and briant then i don't assume he's a starter um so my thought would be briant and pines and part of this is 
um, those smarter scout numbers for Heinz, like that went around that I, I retweeted a couple of days ago, um, we're recording on Tuesday. So if you're looking for this, um, it's probably better to just go to smarter scouts, uh, Twitter account rather than scroll through mine. Cause you might find like a dr- random drill tweet, uh, and have to get through all that stuff. Um, <laughs> But in those numbers was something that um, it looked like in terms of defending in the air, um, Heinz like maybe isn't very good at for MLS. Like his defensive headers, his ability to win those battles might not be particularly high based on his, um, his output in Belgium. Um, and when you're in a back four, the center backs are going to have to win a bigger share of headers than you are in a back three. It's just a division of labor issue. It's also, you know, if you're less centrally located, you're winning less headers. If you're the left center back or right center back in a three, you have fewer headers to go win than you do as part of the center back duo in a back four. Um, And that could be an issue for Heinz, like if the team has to play out of a back four uh, in the first few weeks. Uh, I'm sure they, I mean, they brought him here. He's experienced. I'm sure that if they need him, they'll look his way. And I'm sure that if he happens to win the job, then he wins the job. But until that's proven to me, I've got to go. If the team's playing out of a back four, I've got to expect that he's the third man for the time being Um, until, you know, maybe in a couple weeks we see some preseason games and we start to get a feel for um, how they want to play, how they want to deal with this problem, because maybe the solution is something unorthodox. Maybe um, I mentioned this in our, um, Black under United Slack, but uh, Chris Adore HM played center back at Maryland as a freshman. Um, and maybe they find maybe they're like, you know, as a right center back, he actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, we've had Devin McTavish on this show. Uh, he's not a big guy, he's not a guy you say, oh, that's a center back. Um, but he managed to make it work. And maybe this is one of those situations where, with fresh eyes on the roster, maybe they think of something and adjust some things and maybe some things that we never would have thought of become viable. But until we see any of that, I'm, I'm taking the most cautious route and saying Briant and Pines in my mind are still the starters on opening day provided um, we're talking back four, which I, I'm starting to suspect is what we're going to be talking about. for Yeah. Yeah. It looks more and more likely. Um, Right. We'll see. We'll, We'll see what happens in preseason games. Hopefully we get to see them. I, I demand hitting the table fist on table that we we get to see those games in fact thank you all for listening to the show this week good news and bad news alike find us at blackandredunited.com if you want to support us financially you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster if you feel like we're worth paying for find us on twitter at filibuster dcu at black and red U for the website send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com download subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcasts unless you're the coronavirus in which case you're not allowed to do that we don't want you if you are literally the coronavirus um mostly though tell a friend about the show that's the best way to spread the word and we really appreciate all the word of mouth uh love that we get so for but, jason and but not the coronavirus but, but but don't spread the coronavirus by your mouth correct or by any other means um, yes. Yeah. Spread the word, not the virus. We should put that on a t-shirt or something. Uh, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Go screw coronavirus.